Hi guys, uh, welcome to this episode of Don't Say We Didn't Tell You. Uh, thank you so much for all of your feedback on our last couple of episodes. We're really enjoying hearing feedback to all of our friends and new followers who have been giving us feedback. It's been really nice to actually hear that people are listening. Um, today we have a guest and we are finally, finally branching out of the HBS Harvard community. I know we had an almost branch out um, with Candy, but this time we're fully uh, non-Harvard affiliated. So we have Iberi on the podcast. Iberi, do you want to introduce yourself? Okay. Hi, Amina. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Iberi. I'm an MBA student at MIT Sloan, um, originally from Nigeria and focused on um, infrastructure development. It's nice to be on the, sh- on, on, on the podcast. Yay. Is this the first podcast you've recorded, Iberi? Sorry? I said, is this the first podcast that you've ever recorded? No, this is the second, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I during the spring, I worked on a podcast with a friend um, on international development. Oh, nice. Hopefully that comes out very soon. So, yes. Ooh. Okay, well, you have to give us the details at the end of this episode so that the people who listen to us can also listen to you then. Thank you. Sure, I will. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'll go first. Um, why did you decide to get an MBA in the first place? Was it to change industries? Was it to leave Nigeria? What was your thinking behind getting an MBA? Okay, it was pretty much to change industries. Just to give you a background of my um, professional experience so far, I started, I started off working with Ernst & Young with the deal advisory team. And then after working for three years, I started to become like very aware of the infrastructure gap in Nigeria. Mm. First of all, just the commute to work alone was ridiculous. And at some point, <laughs> <laughs> I had to move from like the mainland to the island to pretty much survive commuting in Lagos. At the same time, I was writing my ACCA exams and um, just the power instability was just ridiculous. So pretty much um, living conditions were just ridiculous. And so it made me, and beyond even living conditions, um, one of the key things I did at work was um, helping like companies work on their business plans. And I could see like the limits the, um, the limitations of their businesses when you think about moving raw materials maybe from the north mm. to the south or mm-hmm. just logistics across Nigeria. So I became very interested in infrastructure development, but I wasn't sure how to get into that. Mm. And lucky for me, um, at the same time when I was really like reconsidering my career choices, my boss sent me the um, Stanford Africa MBA fellowship mm. <laughs> application. And so that was the first time I actively started looking at MBA opportunities mm. and then just looking at the trajectory of um of the lives of people who had done the MBA program. Um, and it was very, just, it, it was amazing. And so since 2017, I have been working towards getting an MBA. Nice. So it was predominantly to change industries was how you were yes, thinking about it. Predominantly to change industries. Um, I'd love to hear more about sort of <clears throat> what you then did. So it sounds like you decided in 2017, how did you sort of uh, think about the application? What resources did you use? That would be helpful for the listeners as well. Okay, cool. So in 2017, I started off first applying for the Stanford Africa Fellowship. I applied in 2017 and 2018, but I didn't get in. And when I didn't get in those two years, I said I was just going to go ahead and um, apply for the MBA and then figure out funding can you, later. For people who don't know, can you tell them what the Stanford Africa uh, Fellowship is? 
so stanford um stanford gsb has or had because i think they've actually stopped it mm. they had this yeah i think there was either they've stopped it or there was a time they stopped it i don't know if they continued again they had this fellowship for about seven to eight Africans um, who were willing to go back to Africa, I think two years after graduation. And um, mm. they would cover your tuition and living expenses up to $150,000, mm. I believe. Yeah, so it was very... And they would, like, beyond um, covering that, they were also going to pay for, like, your GMAT expenses, appli- waive your application fee, oh, wow. all of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so <laughs> it was... So it was... It, it, it was... Um, it was something I was really looking forward to getting, but then um, I didn't get into that. So how my, um, how really, how, I guess I can't really talk about coming to business school without talking about how my career kind of evolved after that. So in 2017, I became aware of the MBA. I became aware of the fact that I wanted to um, focus on infrastructure development. So I, I moved first of all from EY to PwC to join PwC's capital projects and infrastructure mm. team. It was still consulting. I, I I didn't really. It wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. Like it wasn't. Mm. I was building like models for infrastructure projects and then helping with like the project man. Um, like coming up with the strategy for, um, the projects management. But these um, companies were not raising funding. And so I was very curious. I thought initially that it was a financing problem. And so I I decided I was going to transition to private equity. And so I joined the private equity fund. But working in private equity, I realized it wasn't um, a finance problem because there's money everywhere. If you have a good idea and if you have a solid team, raising funding is never the problem. I, I realized it was more from the team's experience. So you had like entrepreneurs who saw a gap and wanted to fill the gap, but had zero like development experience. Mm. They didn't have like strong partners, all of that. So coming to business school, I, um, yes, I wasn't sure initially what shape it would take, whether I was going to join like an infrastructure PE fund or what it was going to do. But then now like, post-internship and all of that, it has evolved for me into working with a developer because most developers have, like... I can go into that, like, in further detail, but, yeah, I feel like I can talk on and on about that. <laughs> yeah. But the resources I used, I used Magush. Mm. Magush has um, this pretty much, like, an online course where um, you have the quants, you have integrated reasoning, you have the um, verbal and all of that. So I used Magush. I wrote the GMAT three times, actually. <laughs> the first time, um, the, f- the first time it was, my score wasn't very, wasn't bad, but it wasn't good enough for the kind of mm-hmm. schools I wanted. And um, I tried again and then I tried again. Um, but what I learned from that process was just the fact that I needed to have structured my, my um, studying better and just be consistent really and solve as many questions as possible um beyond the gmat my friends were a major resource for me um so my like writing my cover letter and all of that i pretty much did like went through the process with two of my very good friends one was already in business school and another and the other one was um planning to apply to business school so we were going through the process together these people knew me very well they could tell my story they could 
they could see like they I, I recall there was one particular time when I was struggling with um talks essay on when you've made an impact on somebody's lives or, or something. And one of my friends reminded me of something I had done mm. before. So they they were a good resource for me in terms of like crafting my story, all of that. My bosses as well were just phenomenal. Um phenomenal, sorry. I <laughs> I I think for every single, since 2017, for every single boss I worked with, I was very clear um, with them up front that I wanted to go to business school. And so um, they already knew to, they already knew that they were going to write my recommendations like very early on. And so even as they gave me feedback on work, it was kind of documented because mm. they, they kind of knew where I was going. Mm. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think that's so interesting because a lot of people feel like they can't tell their bosses like, oh, I'm applying to business school because then it might affect their bonus. It might affect how like they're viewed in the office. So I feel like it's great that you had bosses that were supportive enough that you could just be so upfront and be like, this is something I want to do. Yes, honestly, like, uh, to be honest, it's not like it didn't come with like some backlash, right? But I'm just very grateful that in every organization I've worked with, I've always had at least one or two buses that would be sponsors for me and so um one of my mentors was my boss at ey who also went to business school right mm-hmm. and so seeing him go through that process i've stayed in touch with him i've kept him updated he's been a very like strong source of accountability even my last two jobs before business school like i was just very upfront because i think it's just like for me i like to be very um upfront and like yeah. very open and so if if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out and i'll move on but um i'll much rather just like be very open and, and that kind of worked out because they were all very supportive of I think my it, application process i think it also depends on the industry like i feel like if you're in consulting mm-hmm. if you're in pe those are two industries where it's very very common um for people to go to business school so i think and also most of your bosses might have mbas so i think it's Mm -hmm. like a little bit easier than perhaps if you're working in certain industries where they're not as supportive of the mba but actually a really good approach to um to try yeah all right so what do you think was the hardest part of the application process for you some people say it's the gmat some people say it's the essays what do you think was the hardest for you i think it was the gmat actually um, because I was working with, I was working in very demanding industries, whether it's consulting or private equity. So trying to find the time really to study, like sometimes the week you have dedicated to studying is the week that some ridiculous project comes up and you're working till midnight. Mm-hmm. And so after midnight, you still have to study. So just finding that balance was, I think that was the most difficult um, part for me and which is why it took a while before. Yeah. Like, it took one year after the first time I wrote GMAT to write the GMAT the second time, actually. Um, just just that struggle. But, I, yeah, but I think I turned out better for it because now, I, like, I know how to schedule. Like, I know how to schedule better and just, like, organize myself. So I think the GMAT was the first thing for me. Um, quick follow-up on that. Did you have a target score in mind or what exactly were you working towards each time you retook it? Yes. So I, I had a target score in mind. I had it gosh what am i saying (laughs) i had over 700 um like i wanted to i wanted to um i wanted to get at least 700 i didn't end up getting 700 um but i was very close to it so 
and it, and I think that's something people need to know that beyond the GMAT, like mm-hmm. schools look at other aspects of your application because I yeah. I kept on like going for a seven hundred at least I didn't get it and I still got into MIT yeah so. Um, and I'm just curious, so what did you change between, like, so between, like, the first time, the second time, and the third time, did you change any of your study methods? Like, what did you change, and what do you think eventually helped you get, like, a score that you you were happy with? So the first time, I... The first time... Hmm, I'm not sure what went wrong the first time, to be honest, because the first time, my mock, like, my mock scores were very good, I guess I was very tensed when I wrote the actual exam. And so that was what probably happened. Because my mock scores were really good. Like I was hitting like a 690. And then I went ahead to write the exam and got a 600. So I couldn't really, like I didn't really know what it was. But the second time, I think I was just calmer. And then I solved a lot more questions. And I actually applied with my second score, not my third score. Yeah. So I think what changed was just like, not um like getting rid of anxiety mm. yeah mm. so tana is nodding <laughs> that that resonates with me no i mean no because i mean i had the similar thing where like i my issue was not really the content my issue was just like my anxiety and my mind where like yes. i remember the first time i took the gmat like during the exam like in my head i was just thinking oh my god this is going so terribly oh my god oh my god i'm like mm-hmm. so okay you shouldn't be thinking this during the exam like just <laughs> learning how to control your mind like, your mind is literally your biggest enemy with the GMAT, so I, I, I understand. <laughs> I completely agree with you. Like, I recall, I think the first exam, the last time I actually blanked out in the exam, um, like, just writing the exam, because I, I was just scared. You know how um, you always think that as you write, if you're doing well, the questions should get tougher, but they mm-hmm. weren't getting tougher, and I was confused. <laughs> Do you get? <laughs> and so there was that panic. Um, yeah, it's just... Yeah, I'm just happy that that phase of my life is over. Yes. <laughs> um, and you got into MIT, so it worked out really well for you. Um, we'd love yes, to hear the story of what you did when you found out. Like, how did you feel? Who did you tell? Like, what was that experience? <laughs> okay, so um, funny enough, when I found out I got into MIT, I, like, all the excitement had already, like, faded, actually. So <laughs> what was interesting was my like how I felt when I so I applied to two schools right mm. I applied to MIT and talk talks um talks offer comes before MIT mm. and so I was under like immense pressure the day talks um the day I was expecting talks call I recall I, like I went to work that day I wasn't functioning like, <laughs> I was just <laughs> I was I, I kept on blanking out of meetings and so I left early came back home and I recall when I got the call, like it was, I was on the floor, like I was <laughs> screaming, actually. And then I called my friend, um, the person I had mentioned that I had been, um, like working with mm-hmm. through the application process. But by the time I think, by the time MIT's um offer was supposed to come, I was just at the point where I already knew either ways I was going to business yeah. school, so mm-hmm. it wasn't a problem, actually. Um, it wasn't a problem, so I wasn't worried about that. Um, one second, let me just apparently walking in because of. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. sorry, let me just confirm. Turn off Wi-Fi. Yeah. So by the time MIT's, by the time MIT's um, 
of a, like call came i was just i was very indifferent i was like oh thank you very much like all the anxiety had gone yeah. and i'm sure the lady who called would have been wondering what was wrong because i was ex- like <laughs> i was extremely calm like i recall i was eating dinner and the call came and i was like oh okay thank you very much and that was it <laughs> so um yeah that that's that's what happened and how did you, well, you said you only applied to talk and MIT. How did you decide that you're only going to apply to those two schools? I wanted schools, again, what, like, what, what really was my goal, right? I, my goal was to work in infrastructure development, whether it was through policy or, like, through investing. And so I wanted to, I only applied to schools that had the dual degree program with Harvard Kennedy School of Government because I wanted to do the dual degree program. So initially I applied to, what I didn't mention was that I applied to Stanford first, Mm. right? And I didn't get into Stanford. And when I didn't get in, I was, because for me, Stanford had been like my top choice Mm -hmm. all through. Mm -hmm. And I only, in 2019, I only applied to Stanford, which was a terrible idea, actually. (laughs) I know some people do it and get in, but... Yeah, those are the outliers. I only applied to Stanford, didn't get in. And then um, my friend reached out to me. I was supposed to talk to her about HKS. And she goes, oh, I got into MIT as well. And I think MIT is great and you should consider it. And that was during COVID when they had the extended round three. So I applied during the extended round three. I got an interview and then I got on the wait list because the class was full. So I figured that if I had gotten on the wait list, if I applied in round one, I would get in. Mm. So I applied to MIT. And then the other schools um, were Watson, Harvard, and Talk, um, that also have like the dual degree Mm -hmm. um, partnership with Harvard Kennedy School. And I was just like, I would just do Talk as a backup. Mm. Yeah, and so I got into into Talk. Funny how I'm not doing the MPA (laughs) anymore. Like, it's weird, but um, that was, that was like, the biggest thing for me when I was coming to business school, the opportunity to do the um, dual degree. But coming here, interacting with people in the program, and just, like, taking classes also at Harvard, because when you're at MIT, you can take some classes at Harvard. Yeah. I realized that this might not be the right time for me to do the MPA, and that I can always come back to do the mid-career MPA. So I decided not to continue with the dual um, degree and hopefully come back sometime in the future to do the mid-career program. And just for people who are listening, the MPA is the Masters of Public Administration. Administration, right? yes. Yeah. Um, at the Harvard Kennedy School um, that people frequently do with, um, in conjunction with the MBA. Um, okay, so how did it feel leaving Nigeria? Like, what was the experience? Like, were you excited? Was it bittersweet? <laughs> like, oh my God. It was, I had mixed feelings. Um, so I come from a very close-knit family, and this is the first time I will be away from my family for this long and not be able to just, like, fly in and fly out. So it was um, it was bittersweet. On the other hand, I was also kind of frustrated, like, with the past situation in Nigeria, all of that, and I was just happy to go to a place where there was some semblance of stability. So um, another thing is, most of my friends literally are either in the MBA program, just completed the MBA program, or are even coming in this year. So for me, like, there's still, like, a strong community mm. here. Um, yeah, so 
living nigeria was bittersweet i i've gone back once i hope to go back in december i still want to stay very connected to home yeah. um so yes that's that's pretty much it and so, so this was your first time living working going to school outside of nigeria right yes so not what working. was that okay sorry, sorry. okay no, no go ahead okay so not, <laughs> so not i've like i've um be, like working with ey working with ac um i've just i've been able to work in other countries but this is my first okay. extended period like outside yeah. nigeria and it was it was <laughs> my first semester was crazy actually everything felt new and i think the biggest thing that was new to me is um how far out people plan mm. so i'm very on <laughs> like <laughs> I'm very um, spontaneous, right? And so I probably, like... But now, like, I have... Like, you have trips. Trips for next year. People have already literally stayed mm-hmm. home now. And so if you're not organized, like, if you don't get organized, the MBA pr- program will just be, like, hellish, actually. Yeah. So my first semester was really me trying to... Learning to be a more organized person. And so that was a big change for me and... um yeah, that was it. That was that was like the biggest change for me, actually. Just learning to be a lot more organized. It's so funny. We literally schedule everything. Like, yeah. oh, let's get coffee in two weeks. Like calendar. <laughs> exactly. Um, honestly, anything that is not on my calendar now doesn't get done. If it's not on my calendar, just forget about it. And so I literally have to schedule. Call my mom. Call my friend. Go grocery shopping. Like, if it's not scheduled, it's not going to happen. So. Um, it's so funny. I was having, I was meant to catch up with one of my friends who is thinking about applying to business school this year. And we hadn't talked, we hadn't spoken in a while, but like we were good friends. And she messages me and she's like, hey, like, you know, I would love to catch up. And I was like, yeah, like, whatever, let's talk next week. And she's like, okay, like, should I send you a Zoom invite? Like, and I was like, babe, we're friends, like, just face <laughs> <me."> like, <laughs> like, you know how I mean? she was like, oh my God, you know, you MBA people are crazy. I was like, nah, babe, like, just FaceTime me, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's such like you can't you, you can't underestimate how you, how much you need to be organized, else you just be um pulled in like a thousand and one directions. Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's talk a bit about sort of like your career prospects. I know we started talking about that a little bit. Um. Are you are you trying to stay in the U.S. after school? How has that affected the way you've kind of thought about recruiting? you know, sponsorship, work visa, all of that. And I know you ended up also doing like non-traditional recruiting. So that also complicates things even further. So we'd just love to hear about that experience. Okay. So first of all, I'm just a big advocate for doing what's like, what matters most to you Mm -hmm. actually. And so coming to business, like coming for the MBA, I promised myself that I wasn't going to do consulting or investment banking again. And so I am very proud of myself that actually like stuck through it. It wasn't very easy, but yes, I, I did it and I'm proud of myself about it. Um, <laughs> honestly, I'm still, I'm just at the point where I'm trying to decide if I want to be in the US or not. I haven't made that decision from like, I don't want to also like not not pay attention to like the state of Nigeria's mm-hmm. economy right now and like not be I don't want to be unrealistic about like the yeah. prospects right now. Mm. Um, but I really like I really would want to work like on the African continent, right? Even if it's not Nigeria. Yeah. But I also need to have very good experience. And I as I think about infrastructure projects that are going on in the country, you have like the the, 
the um real they've been building for how many years now connects <laughs> from um maybe satellite down to um the island it's been going on for years i don't want like i don't want that to be my experience right and so i'm just at the point where i'm trying to decide if if the if um how do i put it if sponsorship and like um the u.s passport or green card is very important to me i know that i know that that is not more important than like me working in infrastructure development mm. i'm very clear on that um so yes i'm just i'm just at that point where i'm trying to decide i haven't decided yet if i want to stay back in the u.s or not so um, that's, how did that's your internship ongoing. factor into your decision because you interned in the u.s right yes i interned in the u.s i absolutely loved the company i interned with and um I have the opportunity to go back there if I want to. Um, it's in the U.S. It's focused on the U.S. Um, so that is great. Um, that's a very good opportunity. But then I'm, I just want to settle in my heart that there is, like, that I, how do I put it, settle in my heart that I can get maybe, whether or not I can get a similar opportunity, like, on the continent. And if I can, yeah, I would explore that but if i can't then i'll stay in the u.s until i feel like nigeria is ready or there's an african country that is ready and i'll, I'll move yeah so still still work in progress i think what scares me a lot is i feel like a lot of us feel that way and a lot of us say that and i'm so scared we're going to wake up and like be 45 and still be in the u.s like it scares me I, so much <laughs> I, no so honestly i know that i'm not going to be, i know that that's not going to be me because for me to be strongly considering this like my friends have been looking at me and like you have like what what else like what every time i say this people look at me like i'm crazy but i feel like the u.s has like has how do i put it the U.S. is developed already. Yeah. Like, we need to be able yeah. to... I'm very pan-African, right? I, I mm-hmm. feel like we need to be able to um, take this... Take talent back home and, like, do work back home. It might not be the most um, convenient thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be the easiest thing, but somebody has to do the work, yeah. really. And I, I really genuinely would want to be able to do that work. And so I don't think I will find myself like 10 years down the line not going back to Nigeria. That one, I'm very clear on it. I will be back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what ship is going to take just yet, but yeah. I know that I will be. All right. So I think you're very involved with Sloan's Africa Business Club. I think you're one of their co-presidents. Is that true? Or did I make yes, that up? Yes, I am. Okay, yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> um, so for a lot of Africans coming to school here, having a strong African community is, is so important. What are some of the initiatives that you have in mind about how you want to strengthen the African community at Sloan? Okay. So I have a co-president as well, Khadija. Um, we've been like we've had conversations like all through the summer on what we want to do, and I think. What our biggest goal this year is to be able to strengthen, like, first of all, build intimacy, like, across, like, the MIT Sloan um, African community and then the MIT wide Africa community. Mm-hmm. And so as we structure our events, we, because we're not very, like, it's a small group, but it's a strong group. Mm-hmm. And so we are making sure that our events are not like the typical MBA networking sessions where it's almost... If you're an introvert, you kind of um, mm. fall through the cracks. So we're making sure that every single like um, activity is intimate. It's it's like it 
like there are team building activities that allow both introverts and extroverts to be able to um interact well but also i'm going to make sure this year that the sloan fellows that's the um almost like the executive mba folks at mit sloan um are also more involved just so that um there can there can be some sort of mentoring like since they are already like very accomplished um individuals and um actively doing work like on the continent right just to ensure that that relationship is there and just across mit with the professors as well that are focused on um africa we're just the goal this like this year is just to like strengthen the community not just so beyond recruiting beyond like opportunities even just having that strong network so you know who you can call on um the transition to new countries easier that's a big focus for us um this year that's awesome how big is do you know how big is mit's um or Swarm's africa africa business club so we're um roughly 50 okay when you think about like the sloan fellows as well um the sloan fellows the executive MBA, and then um, some people from the Masters of Finance program as well. Roughly 50. Yeah, that's nice. I feel like that allows you to actually get, you can actually get quite close with within the community. Um, I think for us, we're like 50 Nigerians. Uh, it's really, <laughs> like not even, well, not even the Afghab is like just Nigerians. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, yeah. actually. Wow. 15 Nigerians. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I think amazing. so, right? Because they're like 20, like it's 20 in our like year, 40, 25. Yeah. yeah. 40, 50. Yeah. 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 But the good thing is that this year we had um, a bit more diversity with the, um, with the African students. So we have people from Ethiopia, from South Africa, from Zimbabwe, um, from Egypt. So it's not just West Africa this time around. <laughs> um, and we really like that. So, yeah. Nice. Even on our podcast, I think we need to do a better job of that too, by the way. Well, no, we're starting from the middle well, and expanding out. Yes, we'll so expand. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think we're, our expansion will probably start with Ghana. I think that's what we have coming up mm-hmm. potentially soon. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll keep going, don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so you guys started last week, right? Um, or have you even fully yes, started? Yes, we started last week. Yeah, so we'd love to week. hear how you would rate your first year and what your kind of thinking of or planning to do differently for the second year for the second year so for the first year like i call my first year an experiment really (laughs) because everything was brand new and um i was still trying to figure out a lot of things but this second year i feel a lot more grounded i feel a lot more organized um i'm very clear on what i want now what I'm going to do differently this second year, I'm going to try to network a lot more with the professors mm. because we kind mm. of, I feel like we underestimate like how much value like they can add and like the yeah. value of their, of their network actually. So I want to spend more time with um, some of the professors. I want to deepen my friendships. Um, I've met some very amazing people like across MIT and I want to just spend more time like I don't want to be all over the place yeah. I want to spend um, a lot more time deepening like those relationships because at the end of the day um, as much as like you would there's a limit to how many people will f- like you will be able to be friends with like for life right so those quality ones that I have found I really want to um, deepen those relationships and then I want to probably try my hand at entrepreneurship because MIT like everywhere (laughs) 
everywhere you go across MIT, there's always um, there's a startup here or a startup there. So I want to try to see. I have an idea and I want to try to work on it this second year. So fingers crossed. That's exciting. Love that for you. Thank you. Honestly, I feel like this is such a great time. To your point about professors, though, that's one thing that a bunch of people that have graduated have told me. They were like, your second year, really use the professors. Like, they're so willing to help. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, when else are you in a place where, like, there are just so many people that can help you and are willing to help you, right? So Exactly. And they have such a... Honestly, they have... You can't underestimate... Like, you can't um, overestimate, like, the, like, their network, actually. Mm-hmm. And, yeah... I want to tap into that this second year. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I know it's really early on a Sunday, so thank you for agreeing to record with us. We appreciate your time. Um, thank, thank you guys you. for listening. Um, please send us feedback. Um, follow our Instagram page at Don't Say Pod, and we will hopefully continue bringing good content and good episodes uh, to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.